Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Average Joes. I'm Joseph St. John. I spent about 30 years in law enforcement, got a chance to do a lot of different things with them. And here is my partner, Mr. Baker. Robert Baker. I'm a practicing trial and defense attorney in um, Southwest Michigan. Okay, there you go. Kept that a little briefer here. Okay. Right. Um, but I do want to share something with you. We're getting ready to talk about um, Marilyn Skelton. Yes. I always want to make sure I get everybody's name right because I mean, want to be respectful. And um, we're going to go and do a kind of postscript show, go over some things. There was a few things that we did learn um, last week, um, talking and sharing a little bit about her. And the interesting thing, and well, good place to start was. One of the things we learned is there was a, in last episode, we said there was a little bit of a dysfunctional family situation, but you read another book and it was a little different. Yeah. I went back to Earl James's catching serial killer and um, it, it, the family was slightly dysfunctional. The mother was religious and the father was a drunk, but in the Earl James's book, it says that there was no beating going on. The, the, the father was not beating anybody. He may be drunk and a little bit abusive, but he was not um, beating them. And, and, you know, you can take that they moved from Flint to Ann Arbor in an attempt to um, get uh, Marilyn Skelton away from her friends that were drug dealers and such. Right. Trying to give her a change of scenery to improve her life. So, yeah, I mean, that does show some sign of caring. I think that's one of the interesting things for our listeners is um, because we we constantly try to research this and we have other people helping us out. You're going to get a bit of conflicting information. Yeah. You know, and and that's one of them. So I want to I want to say that just in complete fairness. Yes, some of the stuff we read didn't make them seem dysfunctional up until the point where they even thought the dad may have done physical abuse. And then in James's book, and he was the investigator or one of the investigators. He said, not so much. There may have been some problems, but not physical abuse. So kind of lay that on there too. Another interesting thing. And again, if you've listened to this show, you know that a couple of the books that we've written uses pseudonyms. And that causes some problems. Just you think it would be easy. It's not. Yeah. Um. It's it's even interesting. I read the book, or I'm working on the book, The Red Parts by Jane's niece. Okay, and um, she even mentioned that that it was strange about the pseudonyms in the Michigan murders. So, you you do have some things like that that I think are intriguing. It makes it difficult, but my scholarly friend here, you did pick up something that needed to be noticed. Yeah, there were a few things that uh, there was corrections that I wanted to make. But in in order to set this up, just remember that Marilyn Skelton for the Ypsilanti murders that occurred around the Ypsilanti Ann Arbor area between 68 and uh, 67 and 69. Marilyn Skelton would be the fourth. Okay, and the previous one was Jane Mixer, which is the one that we have a higher level of interest in because of. um, There you go with the map. uh, Yeah, because of Gary. Yeah, Gary Leiterman was convicted of her murder later, which we, we have episodes, so I, you know, commend you to go back and look at that. But so within 48 hours, Marilyn Skelton disappears, 
And the corrections were that I had said that I didn't see any connection to John Norman Collins in any way, shape, or form. For sure, not to Gary, and that still remains true. It's that there is no connection that I know of to Gary Leiterman. But um, uh, Miss Skelton was trying to get to her boyfriend's, and in uh, two of the other books, it says that she was last seen or heard from around 4.30 when she was dropped off at a uh, Arbor Land uh, shopping mall or something like that. That's not in, in Earl James's book. It says that she did make it to the EMU student union. Okay, And if you can remember from the second murder, which was Joan Shell, three guys, one of them being John McCollins, picked her up from in front of the student union. He worked at the student union prior to I don't think he did it at the time Marilyn Skelton was picked up, but he lived over on Emmett Street in a uh, rooming house with uh, Arnie Davis and John Emanuel and some other frat brother named uh, David Johnson, who we'd beaten the death out of in the mixed murder. So there is ties to John Norman Collins also in the uh, Catching Serial Killers book. It, it lists out that um, the, the murder of Miss Skelton is similar in a lot of ways to three or four other murders, few that haven't occurred yet and some that have occurred. So I just wanted to throw those corrections in there. Also, if you can see uh, Joan Shell on the left-hand side of that picture, uh, she was uh, found on Glacier Way and uh, just below that, Marilyn Skelton. She, I don't know if that's a rock throw, but it is pretty daggone close. It's, it's close. There's no doubt about that. Yep. And both of these are in, our, in Ann Arbor. So as we had said before, we thought that the killer or killers were placing bodies around to jam up on jurisdictional and police forces because they're um, how they coordinated was not. Right. They didn't even get set up a task force until the last murder, which was. Karen Sue Bynaman, which is, you know, just months away. But so. I think I think, too, you have to keep in mind that if um, for those that are maybe this is your first time listening or you're getting intrigued by this and trying to look a little bit more into it, you're going to start to see something here. Mixer is found on March 21st and Skelton is found March 25th. Um, Basim is going to be April 16th. And you're going to have one on June 9th with Calum. Calum. And then Brenneman is on July 25th. And in between all of this, Collins does go to California. And we know of one murder that he committed. Yeah. So you're starting to see an uptick, to put it mildly. Yeah. So you, you have that. So with, with um, Skelton, some interesting stuff is, and again, We're not acting like we're know-it-alls. We learned something in between episodes. But it has been more interesting, like there's not more pictures of Maryland. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, and the little bit that we have, we can, we can start to go over here now Mm -hmm. and really talk about, and this website here from the Detroit Free Press, well, there will be down there. It'll be in the link. So again, this is where they found her, their Glazer Mm -hmm. Way and Earnhardt. Earhart. Okay. And there are some pictures of um, the contents of her purse. So yeah. I always find that to be very, very interesting when you have that. It, it, 
it humanizes the victim, which I think if there's ever been any criticism about the true crime genre, is that I fear that sometimes the victim is just blown over. And that is never good. Yeah, that was a similarity too. Thanks for mentioning the purse because her leather purse and the contents were missing from, they were taken from her. They were found sometime later in the Huron River. That's what you're seeing there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was what, if you recall from the previous murders and you'll see it in the others, John Norman Collins or whoever was doing this was taking trophies from each victim. Mm -hmm. That's a photo uh, album right there that you're seeing. Right. And messages um, that some friends had written. Yeah. So that's another similarity. The other thing that I wanted to point out before we were getting close to wrapping up, because we didn't have a whole lot more on this was that um, Miss Skelton had a high IQ, though she was a, a drug person selling drugs, using drugs, but she had a 123 IQ. And even though she had missed 28 days in high school, she was still in high school. She had a 3.0 average, and that was with three 4.0s and an F. So even doing drugs and being wild, she was still doing really well in school. Yeah. And, and, and I think that everybody in what we have, and I do think this is good to point out that everybody that we did have, really that we read about. And this is what I fear sometimes, because you have to deal with the fact that she was in the drug culture. Yes. Okay. For us to pretend that she wasn't is just, just don't do the podcast. If that's what you're going to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, the fact that there was some dysfunction, this um, kind of dysfunction in her family, you know, some say yes, some say not so much, but you got to address it. But it never gets to the point of victim blaming, but you have to address it or just don't do the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think that you had a lot of people, including the people she was informing for, for the police department, who thought she was a quality person. Mm-hmm. For all of her problems, for all of her concerns, that she was a quality person. Mm-hmm. And that is something that if you, you, it's easy sometimes with victims to either polish over them and act like they never did anything wrong. And you mm-hmm. see that even in today's world, you know, an athlete or somebody dies and everybody, you know, they just want to talk great things about them. Though there was other problems. But you can't be that guy that jumps on it, right. you know, and blames the victim because that just comes across so bad. So right. you are trying to watch that. But I do think when you see a lot on her and there's not as much as I would like, OK, yeah. that um, she was for many, many people, they thought she was a very good person. And, you know, there is that human quality of it that you want to to have. So I I think one of the things is, and I think this is where the tie-in comes in, and I think not not trying to, not trying to disregard Marilyn, Mm -hmm. okay, and not trying to to blow past her. It is just weird that, in my personal opinion, that was the most, um, that was the most brutal of all of these. Yeah. Okay. But this is where I want our listeners to understand. You have Mixer, who, and you, can, you know more about this than I do, Robert. 
You have Mixer, who does have some really differences in the way she was handled during the assault Mm -hmm. in the aftermath. And that's why a lot of people, you know, from the beginning even, were maybe, you know, maybe this one's a little different. But four days later, when they find the next victim, she is completely brutalized. And something is now triggered off because you're going to start seeing that the intensity and the quickness of these assaults going on and the brazenness of Collins is just off the hook. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, for the only one was different. I I just don't agree with that. I think there were some strange things going on. And in the time of Mixer and Skelton, there is an alteration. If you were to believe John Collins did all of these murders, there's Mm -hmm. an alteration in his savagery and in his frequency. And his victim profile, too. Yeah, and the victim profile is completely different. I, I, if I could, as we get ready to, to sum, sum this one up and then talk about a few different things and then get ready for next week, if yeah. I could say anything about this one, um, is that she's not a co-ed. Right. Yeah, she might have been there. You know, he may have seen her, and there's a strong possibility that's what happened. But that would have probably been the first time he's seen her. Yeah. And again, not victim blaming, but, you know, she's looking for a ride. So, you know, you have the problems that you have. Mm -hmm. Anything else you wanted to mention on that about some of the differentials and stuff of that nature? Uh, Only that um, she's hitchhiking, which fits in with all the rest, right? Because she for sure is. She is hitchhiking. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. And you and I had talked about it, and I said, what? There, it's, it's strange, and I don't want to, I'm not blaming the victims, but these women, girls knew at this point that there was somebody killing women who were being picked up for rides. Yes. And I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the, uh, the folly of youth thinking it isn't going to happen to me. And when we get to uh, Karen Sue Bynum and she says, I'm doing two things that I've never done before. Right. And one's get on the back of a motorcycle. Second is take a date with a guy she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I believe the wig people said, don't do it. No, they were actually telling the wig people told me not to tell her. You know, one of the conversations we had before this is that I did spend a lot of time talking about, um, crime prevention in my career. That was probably the beginning of my career doing safety talks and being for no better terminology, um, citizen educational programs. And that was probably the very beginning of my career. My first place where I really was able to grab some traction in my career. And you asked that question, you know, about what we told people to stay safe. And, you know, the first thing would be, you wouldn't get in a car with people you didn't know. And the second thing is, is, you know, it took me a while to be brazen enough to say this because there is situations where you can't answer everything all the time. But in brutal fairness, and I just want to be upfront with everybody, don't go anywhere with anybody. It's like I told you before, if, you know, you're in that situation, you need to make everything happen right then, right Mm -hmm. there, right now. As I told you, if fate brings us together. Whatever happens is going to happen right here, right now. You're not taking me anywhere. Yeah. 
you know, and yeah, could somebody get the drop on you and, you know, all that go out the window? Yeah. I believe that's one of the things he did was get yeah. the drop on. Well, I, I believe when we get more into the Bynumin case, I believe he thought it was daytime. Yeah. And he was hiding nowhere. He was brazenly out there. So, you know, just not getting into cars, you know, to the best of your ability, whatever happens, happens right there. And you have to make the choice of how much you're willing to fight and how much you're willing to give up to live. And I can't make that decision for you, but I can tell you this, that do not put yourself in positions where you are vulnerable. Yeah. You know, one of the weird things, and we found this, especially in the early days of adult education with citizens, was like, if you said that, sometimes I'd be like, well, you know, you're sounding like you're blaming people. And I'm like, I'm not blaming anybody. And as a matter of fact, I'm not blaming a soul. I'm just merely stating you need to take care of yourself. Now, here's the weird thing. And then again, a conversation we've had many, many, many times about this. It's 1970, 1969. 1968, 1967. Different it's a different time. world. Different time. It's a completely 100% different world. Right. You know, though I am also in agreement with you that after it, it's all over the papers, they, 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 this is a big news story. Yeah. They should have been in there. Anything else you want to say on that before we kind of preference ourselves for um, next week? No, I think we're good other than I wanted to talk about the next victim a little bit. Yeah, I think we could get ready for that one because this is the game changer. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. This is a game changer. And I think it's often seen as one of many. But um, Basim, Don? Yeah, occurs three weeks later. She's 13 years old. And we've said it a few times. If there's anything, if there's anyone that's a whole lot different than the rest of them. It's Don Basin because she was 150 yards from her house. Yeah, and she could see her house. And she wasn't looking for a ride. And she wasn't looking for a ride. She was not looking for a ride. And I'll also go another step forward and go, if the, if the community was shocked with the other murders, mm-hmm. and I know they were, when you got a 13-year-old, that had to have just sent shockwaves yeah she's 13 she's not a co-ed as a matter of fact and you know just going to be up front you know full disclosure here the picture i seen of her she looks like a little kid yeah Yeah. i haven't seen any picture of her that would look like she he could have mistaken her for being old yeah me either so you're in a whole different you're in a different game and remember this is uh three killings in less than 30 days yes but this one is going to be for, for our listeners and people who are watching us. This is the, in my opinion, this is a game changer. This would have definitely, it's completely, even though the brutality afterwards, mm. I can see where they thought, okay, it's the same guy. They don't misunderstand me. Yeah. But the rest of it is completely different. You know, yeah. she's 150 yards from her house. She's not yeah. looking for a rock. Matter of fact, she's kind of walking on some railroad tracks, and we'll get into more pictures of that and stuff like that. Yeah, and to tee it up, we have always pondered that there may be two or more act, bad actors, and this one kind of plays into that, at least a couple of elements of it. Yeah, yeah I think even in the James book, I think he alluded to that, that there was a possibility. So yeah. um, 
And by the way, there's a guy out there, and, and again, we'll go into full detail, but this is kind of getting you ready for next week. There's a, a guy out there that watches the trains. Yeah. So it's not completely isolated. Mm-mm. Yeah, he's out there watching trains and you know, he's, he's, he's well known enough that they're waving to each other. Him and back in the day when people were on trains, yeah, they waved and um, they were, it's, it's, it's secluded and we show you the pictures. It's not as secluded as you think. And it's a shortcut. Yeah, and interestingly, she felt uneasy enough about walking home by herself. She asked some guys that she knew that were fishing or something to, right. to walk with her. So that's what, you know, some of the books say she got on the back of a motorcycle or, yeah. I mean, within eyesight of her house. I, right. And she's uncomfortable enough already because it's getting dark. Mm-hmm. And she knows that there's been murders. Yeah. She didn't hop on a motorcycle and say, hey, let drive me 150 yards. Yeah. So just to tee it up, I mean, there is murder and mayhem, you know, for the next three or four months. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, depending on whose count you're using, there was definitely seven murders that they tied in. And when I say they, the books, the law enforcement. Yeah. From, from 67 to 69, there were seven. Two others. We tied in the one. Was it last? From time? Iowa State. Two episodes. Yeah. From the Iowa State. And then they're going to, they, which John Emanuel and John Herman Collins are going to take a camper and go to California and kill at least one more girl. They think two potentially, and maybe on the way there and on the way back. Yeah. So that's another interesting thing because that fella is, his his manual is never charged. No. Never dead now. His manual dead now. Never charged. Never charged. So, um, there's some really weird unanswered questions about that one too. And depending on, and, and one day we're going to, again, we, we, we talk about these things because we're trying to be open, but, you know, just really a couple of really good interviews that we have. The people that were working this case that knew this case knew they were working. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. That's how the Iowa state thing got up. Yep. So. Came right out of the interview. Yeah. So, you know, we had that. And um, so those videos are coming. This is a we're, we're giving this as an intense look over as we possibly can, because when this gets summed up, you're going to when it comes to conclusion, you're going to think two things. Number one is a Leiterman situation is just perplexing. Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I'm reading the Red Book right now, and even the niece is a bit perplexed with it. The niece of the murder victim. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, you're going to wonder, even though there are several videos on this and there's been programs done on it, that somehow this wasn't bigger. Because this is really a raid in terror. And the the question, and I ask it every episode, is the DNA was all of these files were pulled out in early 2000s and DNA was run on everything that they could run DNA on. And there were positive hits on many. But nobody can tell you which one now. Nobody can tell you which one. Nobody, nobody fesses up. They do kind of allude to it. And, you know, I think we did. We did. We put that on our last episode, the one with Schroeder and his partner. I don't think we put that one in there. I'll try to find it. Yeah. So there there's and then Harvey, uh, Sheriff Harvey, who's a character who we mentioned what a character he is. He said there were several. Right. And yeah. a couple of interviews he had. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just. 
there's just some very interesting ways of looking at all of this. And um, I think it is even going to get more intense as we go and have this done. Yeah. So make sure you hit like, subscribe to us. We're trying to get our videos out. So do what you can do and help us out. Um, comments are greatly appreciated. So anything you can do to help the cause, we appreciate it. We do that. Okay. And until next time. See you. I'll have a good one.